Welcome to the CX Impact Podcast. Speed up your customer experience success. The CX Impact Podcast is brought to you by Gemseek, your trusted analytics advisor, helping you predict what your customers will do next. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the CX Impact Podcast. My name is Ivo, and I will be your host for the day. More importantly, though, I want to introduce you to the more important person in the room today, Adam Avramesco. When I met Adam a couple of weeks ago, one of the first things I said was, Adam, for me, you own the topic of customer education. I was very humble, and he immediately quoted a couple of other books on the topic and a lot of other people who are thought leaders in the field. And that might very well be true. But the fact remains that he has written one of the best books on customer education that is out there, at least from my perspective. It's called Customer Education, Why Smart Companies Profit by Making Customers Smarter. And he's also the co-host of the CE Lab podcast. So by all means, Adam is someone who knows the ins and outs of customer education. And I have to say, when writing my own book, I took a lot of inspiration from him. And that made me realize we, we share a passion for the topic of today's conversation, which is customer education. How can you harness it to help your customers deliver more value or get more value? Adam, that was a very long intro from me. And it's finally time to give you the floor to introduce yourself. Welcome. Thank you, Ivo. And that was a very kind introduction. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and to get in touch with the broader world of customer experience. So yeah, just by way of quick introduction, my name is Adam Evermescu, like you said. I am currently the Vice President of Customer Education at a company called Personio, and I'm currently living in Amsterdam, although as you can hear by my accent, I'm still a, a baby European. I, I'm out here recently from the Bay Area in the United States. So really happy to be on the show and yeah, looking forward to have a great discussion about customer education. Thank you so much, Adam. And indeed, it's a very important topic that you touched on the very start, you know, because mostly we talk about customer experience in this podcast, while your topic is more around customer education. And how these are related is, I think, the topic that I would love to explore further as we go along. But tell me, let's kick it off somewhere. What is customer education, really? Because I suspect that maybe not everyone who listens to this episode has heard the term before. And it might seem a little bit cumbersome in the beginning. You know, education, we typically associate it, you know, with universities and high schools and stuff like that. And that, that doesn't seem very sexy, if you will, when you talk about customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can, we can start by calling the field not sexy, but uh, it's, it's getting a lot sexier as time goes on. Uh, no, good, good question. And there is some debate as well about what the exact name of this field should be, because people do call it different things and, and thus... The scope of what it is is slightly different depending on how people define it and what it includes. But I'm going to take a pretty broad definition of it right now. And I'm going to say that customer education is the function in your business that is devoted to making sure that customers can use your product or service in a meaningful way. And I want to start intentionally broad there because sometimes you hear customer education and you think of that, you think of a classroom, just like you're saying, or maybe you think of picking up a manual and reading it. But really, customer education, I see as a variety of modalities that you use to help customers become better at what they do. And by becoming better at what they do, they're more likely to continue buying your product or uh, I come from the world of software as a service. So uh, it means that they're going to continue renewing and expanding with you over time. It's very interesting. 
Adam, one challenge potentially, and I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud. Could it be a challenge that if I need to educate my customers, something with my product or service is wrong, you know, when they say you don't notice good design. So by the same token, if I have to educate someone how to use something, does this mean that I have a problem with, you know, is have I made something too complex or complicated for people to use? What do you think about this notion? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're doing this intentionally, Evo. That's that's how I start my book. But the <laughs> the reason I know you've read it because you quote it in your book. Yeah. Uh, but this is also something that I was asked actually, and it's stuck with me ever since. The very first time I interviewed for a customer education manager role, I had a meeting with the the CEO, and it was the final round of the interview. And he gave me a very similar challenge. Uh, obviously, they made the decision to hire for a customer education manager, so I think in some ways he wanted to be a little bit contrarian about this. But he asked the same question. He said, hey, you know, when I think about the, the type of product we want to design, I think about, you know, something like an iPhone. And uh, an iPhone doesn't need customer education. Uh, anyone's uh, grandmother can, can pick up an iPhone and use it uh, just fine. And I think it's a really interesting argument. Because in theory, that is absolutely true. If a product is so well designed and so intuitive that there is no gap between how the product should be used and how the product is used, then yeah, you don't need any sort of customer education for it. But that's not true for most products. So for instance, again, I come from the world of software as a service. And for a lot of products out there, they're not so intuitive that you can just pick them up and start using them. And even if they are, and maybe you have some uh, guides or tutorials at the beginning, which, by the way, are a form of customer education. Yeah. Let's say you need a little bit of assistance to get going. Well, at that point, you're still not necessarily seeing all of the different use cases or ways that that product can provide you additional value so that you can use it in more meaningful ways. And I think that that's actually where something like customer education can become very powerful because we're not just necessarily teaching you how to use the product for the first time or how to get started, we're helping show you the art of the possible so you can use it in different ways. But then even if we go back to the idea of the iPhone, iPhones do have customer education. They do trainings in Apple stores to teach you how to use their very intuitive products and how to use them in different ways. Shortcuts, tips, tricks, all of that. They come with manuals. So <laughs> even an iPhone does have customer education. Yeah, that makes perfect sense now when you talk about it. Is there a difference between B2B and B2C maybe as well? Like, I think we're very used to kind of thinking that B2C products, you know, I just buy something and I start using it, you know, everyone can use a TV or I don't know what else. But maybe is there a difference really between the two worlds in B2B and B2C? Customer education exists for both, but in, in very different forms, to your point. Mm. So generally with a lot of B2C products, and, and you can also make a bit of a distinction here probably between, uh, say, tech and consumer packaged goods and medical, right? Depending on what, uh, what field you're in, yeah. the thing that the customer needs to be educated on and, and in who we're educating, the persona that we're educating, what they're supposed to do with the product is going to vary wildly. But let's try to... Be as apples to apples as possible. We can talk about uh, kind of a generic B2B versus B2C. Um, let's pick software to start with. Yeah. So there, for B2B, you are probably going to need to educate an entire account of people working together to use your, your software. So you're going to have 
some sort of onboarding phase or implementation phase. And there, typically, you're going to want to identify for everyone using the product within that business, what are the personas? How are they going to use the product? How are they going to get value out of it? What are the use cases that they're going to use? And then through a series of different modalities, including uh, online trainings or sometimes in-person trainings, communities, help centers, in-product education, there, there, there are even more in some cases, you're going to make sure that everyone who's going to be a key user within that account gets up to speed. So you can imagine there, customer education is pretty far-reaching. Whereas with B2C, now you're really talking to one person and making sure that they are able to get up to speed generally with a, a simpler set of use cases, though not always, right? Like you could think of something like, uh, like you talk about the Adobe suite, I think, in, in your book, yeah. and something like Adobe Illustrator. Well, that takes a lot of training to be able to get up to speed and get proficient in it, even though it's B2C software. But there, the vendor is not necessarily going to use all of those different modalities I described because it's one person. So there, they might offer supplemental training courses. They might have an online community where people are talking to other people about how they best use the product. Uh, but there also, you might see a whole third-party ecosystem of people who know how to use that product and are training on it uh, popping up. And that, that exists indeed. When you talk about Adobe, especially, and I'm, I'm more a fan of photography, so when we talk about these things, there are certainly courses out there which teach you how to edit your photos and organize them in Lightroom in Adobe's tool for photography. <laughs> I'm also like... I think that also kind of expands the field a little bit, doesn't it? Because even if it's like a B2C banking product, let's say, I mean, I obviously mm -hmm. know how to use a, a debit card and a credit card, but then there is also the broader field of financial literacy, I think. So how do I manage my finances? So it's not so much about, you know, managing my, you know, using my debit card. That's easy enough. Yeah. But yeah. How, do I, how do I manage my finances is, I think, probably the bigger topic. And does this allow companies to kind of, tap really into the value field to, to go a little bit higher in the value chain, if you will, and helping customers with their need instead of, you know, giving them a drill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's part of customer education that would be involved in building competency with the product itself. And here you're describing the, the, the analogy here is the debit card, right? But like I mentioned, there are uh, not only different use cases for how you can use a product, Maybe a debit card doesn't have a bunch of different use cases, <laughs> uh, but there are also, let's say, domain, broader domain skills that you would learn. So financial literacy is a broader domain skill that is probably a bigger opportunity to educate customers than usage of the product, usage of the debit card itself. And it's funny that you mentioned this because actually one of my first roles in customer education was working for a company that served fintech products. And in fact, one of the products that we had was a debit account that we offered to consumers. But this is a matter of knowing your persona as well, because while we, uh, for instance, I was, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time, and Austin, Texas is a, a pretty tech forward city, and people are very comfortable with online banking, debit cards, uh, all of that good stuff, e-statements. We had a lot of clients who were in underbanked areas or areas that just had very low technology uh, literacy. So we'd be going out to small towns and working with community financial institutions and credit unions, and their customers aren't at the same level of financial literacy that you're talking about right now. They're uncomfortable using a debit card. So we actually have to educate them on some ways 
not how to use the debit card in, in the sense of, you know, mm-hmm. everyone knows how to swipe a debit card, I, I guess, or, or you can instruct them once and they'll know how to do it, but rather helping them overcome their objections to using a debit card, such as uh, security issue, uh, yeah, security objections or, or things like that. So a lot of our training was helping the reps at these banks work with their consumers to overcome these objections and ultimately help them adopt some of these things that we thought were basic. And then, only then, could we also move on to doing things like financial literacy courses. Nice. One of the things I really love about customer education and also about reading your book is how many possibilities kind of are unlocked when you start thinking from this perspective. Because I think kind of implicitly, we're always, you know, anyone in business is thinking how to educate their customers to, to get more value out of it. But I don't think we're being explicit about it. What I really love is how explicit you are about it. And that really opens a lot of opportunities because you start seeing them everywhere, really. I have a beard, so I have a beard trimmer, which I'm really not good at using, by the way. But I (laughs) I recently noticed that, yes, Philips, for example, because my beard trimmer is a Philips one. So they actually have educational videos. They don't call them educational, of course, Uh, more on the inspirational side, if you will. But they do show a guy, you know, how does he do it and how to get the perfect look that you want. And by the same token, you can, I don't know, probably imagine the same logic for a lot of other industries. I'm not very big on cooking, so I'm quite sure that I'm not making the most out of all the cooking appliances that I have in my home. And that's really hurting the business, by the way, because it's like, next time I'm just not going to buy one, you know. If I'm not getting any value out of it, I might as well just not have it. Yeah, absolutely. And and this mirrors, I think, the way that you talk about the, the path to value in, in your book, when you talk about the idea of inspiration, motivation, and education. For a B2B software product that is very complex, like let's say, let's take Salesforce, for instance, you need a lot of education to really know what you're supposed to be doing with the, the product and how to navigate around it, and especially if your business has customized it. Mm. Whereas with a beard trimmer, well, the actual education on how to use the product the the gap comes from a different place. It it yeah. might not be as much not knowing how to use the product itself, but rather really what you should be doing with it or could be doing with it aside from what you might already be doing. And and that's where customer education, I do think, comes into play is understanding what is going to unblock more valuable usage of that product over time. Because we all educate our customers, right? Every yeah. Every business does it in some form or function, but most aren't deliberate about it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. That's what I really love about this conversation, Alam. Tell me, how do you approach it? Because you said, you know, obviously what you're going to do in the field of customer education obviously depends a lot on what are the gaps and what's needed and knowing your persona. What's kind of your process about this? How do you go about it? Because you mentioned you worked for a fintech company, now you work for a software company. When you get into these companies, where do you start? How do you proceed? Give us a little bit of tips, you know, about if I own a B2C or a B2B company, where do I start? Yeah, really good question. So my experience is mostly in B2B. So I'm going to I'm going to start from that point of view and then maybe we can poke some holes in it to figure out how it might be different sure. for B2C. But to your point, my my background is I I started as an instructional designer and content developer working on the agency side. So I helped different B2C, B2B, NGOs, <laughs> any any acronym you want, produce uh, learning experiences, but not always for their customers. A lot of the time it was for internal employees. And then I moved to that fintech company where our audience was primarily working with the frontline staff of community financial institutions, 
From there, I went on to a company called Optimizely, where we were working primarily with digital marketing teams and later with product management teams, helping them build their optimization and testing programs. Then took a, a quick little detour to a company called Checker, where we were actually doing background check software. So we were working with trust and safety teams, recruiters, even the applicants themselves who are applying for background checks, which is a huge business in the United States. And then I went over to Slack, where I was uh, there for a few years. Uh, and there, the customer education journey becomes very different because you're talking essentially about a blank canvas that people are going to use for collaboration. And how you use Slack is so tied to your organization's norms that it's going to look very different from company to company, especially as those companies get larger. And now at Personio, I'm in HR tech. So we're helping HR professionals make what they do more efficient and ultimately enable better organizations. So maybe even from hearing that, you can hear that the actual situation in terms of the persona is going to be very different every time. And typically, what's going to happen, apologies for the long introduction to that, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lead to a point, is that despite the actual persona being different, what's going to happen typically is you start working with more and more customers as your business grows, and you start to collect some sort of knowledge base around what it takes for them to be successful with your product. And that typically ends up going into one of two places, and, and usually both. One is you'll have some sort of help center or internal knowledge base where all of the, the common support questions are going. And then second is you start to figure out for the personas that you work with every day, what it is that's blocking them from getting to value. And then you have some sort of training that you're doing for them, whether it's an onboarding training or whether it's a, a walkthrough. And you're doing these things relatively ad hoc. Probably every uh, account manager or service rep has their own way of, of doing these things. Mm -hmm. And I think the place to start is by looking for the commonalities between how these reps approach this informal training and to figure out what's really at the core of it. Because through a customer education program, you can structure it and start to make it uh, much more consistent. And you can also start to look at areas where there are some things that can be handled in a very scalable format, whereas there are other things that actually should require a higher touch, maybe because they're more variable or because they're different from client to client. And so I'd start with that analysis. Because you said customer education programs, is it often that you see companies having kind of very dedicated customer education programs? Is it becoming bigger in the recent years? Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, increasingly, increasingly so. And I think COVID-19 really accelerated the use of scalable customer education programs because in the past, uh, we actually on, on, on the C-Lab podcast, we were doing a, a deep dive into customer education books written at various points in, uh, in, in the past several decades. So we looked at a book from 1984. We looked at a book from 1997. So the interesting thing is back in the 80s and into the 90s, you had customer education actually very much in the way that you were talking about with your Philips trimmer, yeah. where it was something that companies would offer to their clients essentially as a form of marketing and competitive differentiation. So if you could teach your customers how to use your product better, or if you could anticipate what the, the common things they were going to call in about uh, and help them, you know, essentially deflect those topics, those were the, the key use cases at first for customer education. And it was typically housed in a sales or marketing department. And then time went on 
And then you started building these bigger education services teams, especially for tech products, especially back in the, the days where you did these huge implementations because it was on-premise software and you had an implementation phase. And you kind of had to make sure that the company who bought the software was good enough at using it that it wasn't just going to sit idle because you did want them to renew their contract at some point. But now, at least in my world, we're in the world of software as a service. And for SaaS businesses, it's a, you're in a constant renewal cycle. So you have to help the customer continually be searching for, for value over time. While we were talking, you know, I was thinking about this kind of, with the proliferation of data, there is so much data these days and there are so many smart products. And when you said, you know, software, and I think all of these companies these days have such a huge access, you know, to everything that the customer is doing. So it's not like in the 70s or the 80s. So you sell a product and unless you go and ask the customer, how are they using the product? You probably wouldn't know how they do it. But these days, you know, because even things like my smart toothbrush, you know, the company knows actually how am I using my toothbrush. So, and I think that opens a lot of opportunities to, to intervene in this process in a lot of ways. Because essentially what I'm saying is, you know, not you, but <laughs> the companies know if I'm doing something wrong or if I'm not making the most out of the product and so on. And I, and I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of that in the future, don't you think? Yeah, I think especially when you're talking about B2C or a consumer, and I appreciate you challenging me on this because I, I think about things so often from this B2B lens uh, that I would imagine that for a B2C product, your goal typically is that customer education should be invisible, which is why a lot of people don't necessarily think about it as, as much in the B2C world. Now, what I mean by making it invisible is that if I can offer you in-time education when you need it, and it doesn't feel like, hey, I have to go to a separate course, yeah. or I have to, um, uh, I don't know, what's another good example of this, go to the community forums and ask another person how they're doing it. If I can offer you more of an in-time experience, which uh, you, you hear this in the software world being called digital adoption platforms, but more broadly, there's this whole world uh, within learning and development called performance support, which is basically giving people help in time when they need it. I imagine that we'll start to see more of that. So for instance, if you're using your own product telemetry, uh, you, you know what people are doing with your product, you know their behavioral patterns, yeah. you could give them a tip or a warning or some guidance in time that helps steer them towards better or more effective usage. Maybe if you're sophisticated enough, you could even see if they're doing something multiple times and then ask them if they want to uh, go watch a, a video that shows them the proper usage of something or maybe give them a sterner warning, yeah. depending on what it is that they're doing. I have to ask the question because in customer experience, we, we often say that customer experience, it's not like you might have customer experience roles within a company. But I think most customer experience professionals would agree that customer experience is actually something the whole company does. So it's, it's everyone's business essentially within a company, mm -hmm. who owns customer education within the company, especially in a B2B one, because I imagine in B2C, you already said that mostly going to be marketing, but B2B might be a little bit more complicated case. Yeah, B2C, I, I was saying it, it came from sales and marketing. And in a lot of cases, it's still there because you're teaching mm -hmm. prospective clients on how to use the product. So they'll, they'll buy it and then we'll buy more of it. Although you do sometimes see it as well in B2C housed within uh, support teams. And, and depending on whether you're calling customer experience 
support or not. I know sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not the same. That's where you also might see it housed if it's more about making sure that you're offering enough help and guidance that the customer is not going to need to call in and they're able to, to self-serve. Now, in B2B, I'll tell you three places where it currently lives, and I'll tell you where it lives at Personio as well. So the three most common places, uh, probably in order that I see them, are number one, customer experience or customer success teams. Mm. Number two is marketing teams, specifically within product or customer marketing. And number three is actually within a product team itself. And so where customer education lives has a lot to do, number one, with, with who sponsors it. So sometimes it's in completely random places. In fact, uh, at, at Checker that I mentioned earlier, the background check company, I, I reported to the general counsel. I was on the legal team um, because a lot of the education we were doing was about mitigating our clients' legal risk. But typically, it's going to be in one of the three that I mentioned. So we can start with the most common one, customer experience or customer success. Most of my career, I have reported into one of those departments, depending on which one was the usually the, the broader one. And at Personio, I report into our chief operating officer, where I am part of the customer experience team. So the reason that we do it that way is because even though, like you mentioned, everyone at the company is responsible for the customer experience, and I would argue everyone educates customers in their own <laughs> way, it does help align us with uh, the actual journey that our customers are on, the actual data that we're collecting, both quantitative and qualitative, about what customers are doing, and make sure that we can build a really tight feedback loop mm. between where customers are. Well, let me put it this way. I, 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 look, I look at the goal as being to maximize desire and reduce friction, which I would look at as being similar to your idea of inspiration, motivation, and education. Sure. So maximize desire, that means we have to drive adoption. Who drives adoption at a company? Usually a customer success manager, uh, sometimes account managers or other roles like that. Uh, at, at a product-led growth company, which is becoming more and more uh, common today in software, like if you look at something like, like Slack, Miro, uh, I could probably think of more if I, if I sat down and thought about it. It's actually happening from product teams themselves. They're driving growth loops for their customers, which is, by the way, uh, you know, spoiler alert, why customer education sometimes sits within a product team, especially in teams that, that are doing a lot of product-led growth. But in many cases, customer success or customer experience is the team doing that. However, they're also the team that is tasked with minimizing uh, friction or responding to what happens when that friction occurs. So we'll look at, for instance, what are the top categories that customers are submitting support tickets about? And when we use our own taxonomy to understand the different categories, we say, here is where we think we can offer our customers a better self-service experience, because we know they're going to try to contact support about it. And we want them to be able to contact support when they're having an issue. But not if they don't want to, or not if that issue can be easily solved without waiting for a response. So there, we can look at the top tickets coming in, and we can say, this is something that we want to create a Help Center article about, or this is something where we want to improve the discoverability of a Help Center article. This is something that we want to create a course about, because it's a big enough topic, uh, and something where learning it in a linear stepwise fashion makes a lot of sense. Or this is something we want to produce a, a short video about. Getting into which content to produce is its whole, uh, a whole different topic. But that's why I commonly see it aligned to CX or, or customer success, 
And then I'll, I'll spend a brief moment talking about why it's on marketing, because that was the middle one. So a lot of the times customers or companies are using customer education as a way to drive demand generation. And especially when you're talking about the idea of going beyond the product to some of these broader use cases, like you were talking about with uh, the Philips Shaver, I would also say this is true of a company uh, in software like HubSpot. And HubSpot does uh, inbound marketing. They, they do uh, basically... Uh, how can I best describe what what HubSpot does? Like they're they're sort of a customer relationship management system. Uh, they let you publish content and uh, uh, gate that content in a way that helps you bring in uh, leads to your business. Probably the best way I can think about it. They also uh, let you uh, control how you email and market to your customers and, and track the results of that. So they've got a whole suite around doing that and learning how to use their product as part of it. But the other part of it is learning what inbound marketing is and what are the best practices to actually build an inbound marketing function. So if you go to HubSpot Academy, which reports up to their marketing team, you can see what they're doing is they're actually using their education program to create demand, not just for their company, but for this whole category. So people become better at doing their jobs. So that's typically when you see it housed within marketing in B2B. Is there kind of a tension probably? I don't know if tension is the right word. You know, between customer and education, I think what I'm hinting at is to be a good educator is kind of significantly different from being probably a good marketeer or a good product manager. What are kind of the skills that you need to have? Because learning in itself, it's, it's a practice on its own at the end of the day. I mean, people write books and articles about that and they study how do we learn and so on. Isn't it a little bit difficult maybe for one person to do it? Because you need to have kind of both this commercial angle, if you will, the customer angle, customer experience angle. But then to deliver a good educational experience, it's a completely different thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And if you're talking about being that team of one when you're first starting <laughs> a customer education function, I see people come from all sorts of backgrounds to, to go into that. So I think an ideal customer education leader has a little bit of each of these roles mm -hmm. in them, although their DNA probably comes from a certain place. They're a little bit product manager in the sense that they're trying to drive adoption for their own product, uh, which is the, the educational product. They're trying to understand what the personas using their, their product uh, are, are trying to do. They're understanding how to test and iterate uh, around making their education better over time. Those are all things that a product manager does every day. They're also a little bit marketer. They're understanding how to look at the growth of their educational platform as a funnel or as a flywheel. They're trying to figure out, again, how to experiment to drive the growth of their platform. They're understanding what techniques capture people's attention yeah. versus which ones don't resonate. They're forming sharp calls to action. Uh, and they're also part CX professional, right? Having an understanding of what the customer is trying to do, being able to scale your own operations. Uh, and really making sure that the customer is well-educated. But you're right, there's a fourth thing in there, which is also having some expertise in the way that people learn. So sometimes you see people come from one of those first areas that I described. They might be that rock star customer success manager who's already been educating their customer, and uh, their boss says, hey, why don't you start doing this full-time? Uh, why don't you build an academy? They might be a great... PM who says, hey, you know what, uh, I would like to now not be managing one of the parts of the product itself, but I'd like to be managing the way that we educate our customers around the product. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you see this as well with like tech companies who have developer relations teams, 
who are working every day with the developers who are building on the platform. And they say, hey, let's devote ourselves full time to making sure that developers really understand how to, to build this thing. Or uh, marketing, same thing. You might have a great content marketer or customer marketer or product marketer who's enough of their job is showing customers uh, at scale how to use their product in the best ways that they eventually become the first customer education person. But sometimes it's the fourth thing. Sometimes you find someone who has a background in learning and development or in education, mm -hmm. and they have a whole skill set of their own. They know instructional design. They know uh, evidence-based learning methodologies. And sometimes you bring someone like that into a business and say, hey, now you're the customer education person. We don't expect you to be a subject matter expert in our product just yet, but we do expect you to be the subject matter expert in how to build good learning. While we were talking, I got so inspired that for a second there, I thought of hiring someone for, for, for James Eek as well. Because I think we, probably a lot of companies are guilty of that. Uh, but we most certainly are. Oftentimes we, we send a report to a client and we say, hey, these are the key things that you can actually improve on. And, and, and that's about it. I mean, it's, it's a very good report, very actionable and all that. But I think we oftentimes ourselves miss that our customers need I don't know, I'm going to use the word education for the sake of brevity here, but they need to know how they can put it to good use. Right now, I have the report. What do I do with it next? Yep. There might be a ton of ways in which they can use it. Absolutely. And if there's something that I'm really passionate about here, it's the idea that a lot of companies start way too late. They decide to invest in customer education after they're already seeing a big problem in their business. And that problem might be customers churning uh, or not renewing or not buying their products again. Uh, I'm trying to phrase this in different ways, thinking of B2B and B2C uh, and different types of products. But they, they recognize that there's some problem with adoption. And that problem is leading to either a lack of retention or a lack of loyalty for their customers in the business. And so maybe the first step they've taken is they say, okay, you know what, we're going to have a role like a customer success manager. Yeah. We're going to have someone who is working every day with customers and helping them, uh, you know, make sure that they're getting uh, more and more strategic usage of our product, or we're building the relationship together. And that's great. That's a that's an amazing first step. But what starts to happen is then you hire more and more CSMs. And each of those CSMs, like I described earlier, is doing training in their own way. Or this happens with customer support reps too. Each of them has their own language for how they can help the customer resolve a common problem. And this goes on for a really long time before you really say, you know what, to continue to provide this level of service or this level of strategic guidance to our customers, we're going to have to continue investing linearly. So for every X many customers we add, we're going to have to continue to add this many humans to the business. And that's not always a good thing, right? Because that increases your costs. No, it's not. That means that the, you know, the, for, for the, the cost to uh, acquire the, the customer, you're continuing now to invest in operational expenses. So then you say, well, how can we, how can we scale this? That's when you start to invest in customer education. That's when you might want to say, hey, instead of support agents answering the same questions over and over with different languages, you actually want someone to create a uh, more scalable help center where the knowledge is verified and where someone is paying attention to which responses are getting upvoted and downvoted. Or what are the most common topics coming in that don't have a support article attached to them? You might also want to invest uh, on the same side with your CSMs. If your customer success managers 
are having these conversations with customers every day and they're doing the training, they're doing the onboarding. Uh, maybe you have a new uh, person at that same account who comes in to start using the product and then they have to do a retraining. Mm -hmm. Well, why not invest in someone who can produce a more scalable version of that training? Uh, maybe put it online as a series of videos or as a course, uh, again, depending on what your product is. And then what you're going to find, and, and this goes back to the point that you made a moment ago, that now all those smart people that you hired, your customer success managers, your support agents, they're not going to spend their time doing the repetitive thing anymore. They're actually going to be able to spend time working with the client more strategically yeah. on the things that aren't repetitive. And that starts to add way more value. So I just, I truly believe that, that many businesses start too late investing in a more scalable and strategic customer education function. What other challenges do you see in this field? What's stopping companies from doing that? I think sometimes it's, it's not knowing that this is uh, something that exists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, yeah, I mean, you know, again, to the point that you made earlier, and I, I think I ended up on a tangent uh, when, you, when you asked it last time, but, you know, we, we've seen customer education grow tremendously after the COVID-19 pandemic because people realized that they have to do things at scale. They couldn't just travel out to all their customers to, to do everything or that their customers had more tolerance for doing things virtually or at scale. Um, and in general, I would say just in the past decade or so that I've been in this field, I've seen the way people think about customer education start to become more broadly accepted. Mm. But every time I think that everyone gets it now, I have to take that hat off and realize that customer education is not nearly as widely understood as, as I think it is. So there's a lot of people who still need to be educated about customer education <laughs> or maybe to think of it more broadly as customer education isn't just uh, having a bunch of on-site trainings where customers come into the classroom and we teach them how to use the product because that's not an appropriate form of customer education for everyone. Customer education also includes everything from uh, in-app support to communities to help center documentation to uh, microlearning videos. So choosing the right modality for your program and for your audience, uh, this is also something where I see people slip up. And I'm trying to think if there are any, I mean, there's, there's a million other big ones. Maybe the, the other big one that I would focus on here is often the ROI story is what oh, stops yeah. people from investing. Imagine, yeah. yeah, right? Because you might say, hey, you know what, this sounds like I'm making a really big investment and how will I really know that it pays off? Or if you're doing it for a while, you might start to ask a question like, hey, you know what, maybe we're seeing uh, some anecdotal evidence that uh, customers are benefiting from doing this, but I don't know how to prove causally, right? That, that because a customer engaged in this educational activity that they have then done this downstream thing, whether that is better adoption of the product or renewal or expansion, right? Whatever we want to see downstream that we say customer <laughs> education is pointed at. And that's actually a problem because it's true. Customer education is, it, it's messy in terms of tracking because it's not like you did one thing and that has a direct effect on the customer afterwards. However, you can approach this in stages where a lot of customer education programs over time will at least be able to get to the point of doing correlation analyses, where they can look at cohorts of customers and then look at downstream, hey, 
this is the renewal rates for our customers who are educated versus the ones who are not educated. If you're even able to look at that, that lets you start having a discussion about the value of customer education and the ROI that it's providing. That might also bring you to interesting questions like, hey, how do we know that this isn't reverse causation? How do we know that, say, it's not just the customers who are already more likely to renew that then participated in our education programs? And to that, I say, if your customers who are trying to renew with you need education to be able to use their product in, in a meaningful way, well, then it doesn't really matter, does it? The correlation is enough in a lot of cases. So as a customer education leader, you have to start kind of exploring these questions in good faith and trying to figure out what actually matters versus what doesn't matter. But the ROI story there, I think, is really important. Thanks a lot, Adam. That, that makes perfect sense. I think ROI is obviously a question that gets asked even in, in customer experience as well and so on. I think the bigger problem I think people have is that how do you do it quickly? Because you need to, to kind of show success stories and stuff like that. But that's not meant as kind of saying something different than you. I'm fully with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, being able to track what you're doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis is important too. And there I usually look at more operational metrics. Like for instance, I can look at the effect that we've had on our customer contact rate monthly. I can also look at, for instance, here are the top support categories and here is the content that we've produced within a given month. Does that have uh, a high correlation with the top support categories? Are we starting to see uh, customer contacts in those categories drop? Mm -hmm. So, you know, nothing's stopping you from really making sure that the work that you do every day or every week is aligned to the goal that you're trying to drive. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Indeed. Adam, what is the, <laughs> I have to ask the super broad question, the future of customer education. Where do you see the field going? Whew. Oh know, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Um, is this where, this is where I'm supposed to talk about like Web3 and uh, GPT-5, right? Yeah, chatbots as well, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's hard to say. I mean, I, I do think customer education has gained a ton of momentum, especially in the software world and especially in the B2B world. I do think we'll see customer education emerge or reemerge in some cases as a more defined practice in other industries. I'm already starting to see it pop up in, uh, let's say, software adjacent uh, hmm. industries. And I think it will continue to expand as more businesses realize that they have a similar problem to what software has encountered over the past decade, which is that they need to make sure that they have a consistent and scalable way to ensure that their customers are motivated to use their product and able to use their product. And I, I do think the customer education hits both of those categories. Mm. I also think we'll probably continue to see customer education used for that marketing use case even more broadly, uh, meaning that it will be used to teach people not just how to use the products, but more broadly, how to do their jobs or what, a, what, a, what an industry is. And, and the reason I see that happening is because with the acceleration of technology, we're going to see more people need to be upskilled or reskilled. Mm -hmm. And so customer education as a way to help people gain the type of very practical skill sets that allow them to pivot in their careers or to learn a different set of skills that, that let them become proficient using a different product, that becomes more important than ever because HR departments aren't necessarily providing this type of uh, training internally. 
And I do think that, you know, we will see uh, GPT-5, ChatGPT, <laughs> machine learning, all of this start to get integrated more and more into educational experiences, probably for uh, curation of content is, is the most obvious use case for me. Uh, but what I think that ties to is in general, the bar is going to continue to rise for the customer experience that companies are offering. So customers are going to want answers quicker. They're going to want a higher level of polish in uh, the types of experiences that they're having with a company. And so I think they're being able to automate some of the, the nuts and bolts uh, will, will help from that regard. The last sentence that you said, does this a little bit blur the boundaries between companies in a way? Because I'm looking right now at my Wi-Fi router. And I was thinking, how could they educate me? And what, what can they do to help me related to my internet use? And I think that the very obvious one is kind of security. But in that space, there would be the competitor in terms of education would be the, all the software that, that does that. So in that sense, in an educational domain, my internet provider would be competing probably with my antivirus software provider in some sense. Yeah, it's entirely possible. And I think it's important to put a caveat on this. I've spoken highly of customer education because I believe in it, but I don't believe it's a, a magic bullet. Mm. So therefore, as a company, I don't think the first lens that you need to be looking at this is what is it that I can or should be educating my customers on that, that I'm not already. I think it's more looking at it from the point of view of what are the key business problems that we have to solve? And might customer education, if we invest in it more, more uh, strategically, might that help us solve those business problems more effectively? So for instance, for a Wi-Fi router, it might be that doing more domain-focused security training is, is not actually that important. Yeah. A Wi-Fi router might have different problems around uh, being able to do uh, support deflection for themselves to be able to build operational efficiency and therefore have better ways to detect and help people self-service uh, their own problems, which, you know, my Wi-Fi router all the time, I'm having weird problems with it. <laughs> and I would love it if I didn't have to get on the phone and uh, call them and talk to them every time I had a problem with it. I would love great self-service for my Wi-Fi router. Uh, or similarly, it might be that they have some large enterprise contracts where it's not just a, a consumer at home using the router, but rather they're, they're doing it in a large... Uh, corporate use case. Well, there, they probably do want to work with the IT teams and make sure that the IT teams have what they need to uh, exercise proper security around their, their corporate Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I really, I, I think it's, it, to me, it's more at looking at one, where do you currently have operational inefficiencies with the ways that you serve your customers? And some of the support use cases that I gave are really demonstrative, as well as uh, the examples that I gave where you have customer success managers or account managers doing trainings over and over. The reason you invest in customer education there is because it creates scale and it creates operational efficiency for your customer-facing business. Yeah. You might also look at some of your uh, product adoption roadblocks that you're having, and this is especially for, for product teams, uh, might educating your customers on different ways to use your product and, and educating them at an appropriate time where they're receptive to that education allow you to increase your product adoption. The third one is, is more of a marketing use case, which is if you are in a position where uh, inspiring your customer to either use your product in different ways or somehow to become better at their job or better at their domain. This, this is the upskilling thing uh, or reskilling. 
Like if you can offer that to your customers, uh, might that give you a competitive advantage compared to your competitors? And if you can't really answer yes to any of those, then you <laughs> truly might not be ready for customer education. And, and that's okay. But I think a, the, like that's the less common problem. Mm. And the more common problem is uh, people keep dealing with all of these problems in isolation. And so they don't create any efficiencies for themselves. And by not investing customer education, they're shooting themselves in the foot because they're, they're incurring their own operational issues. Adam, I think what you just did in the last two minutes or so is perhaps the greatest testimonial for customer education. So from my perspective, it's super insightful. And I, and I mentioned this earlier. It's a lens to look at the business and the relationship between the business and the customer. But it's a lens that's super insightful and you can very quickly generate a ton of hypotheses and things that you can potentially do, but you don't necessarily need to do. Or at least you could do it. Uh, you could generate these ideas. I just gave you a trigger, you know, a Wi-Fi router. How do you go about that? And you, you immediately go, you know, you can do this, 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 and that. And that's a testimonial for all the work that you have done before it, obviously, but also about how productive engaging in this line of thinking can be. Yeah, no, I love, I love the way that you, you just put that because I, I do think that that's, that can be the case if you don't have a customer education function yet. Uh, obviously, I'm a big proponent of uh, making that investment formally and strategically and, and giving them a charter. But even if you aren't at that point yet, using customer education as a lens to ask different questions about your business and about your customers is already a powerful tool. Thank you so much, Adam. I was going to ask you if you have like any final words of advice to our listeners. I personally loved the last sentence that you said. I think it's, it, it's good enough for me as an ending. Eh? But if you want to add anything, feel free to go ahead. I wouldn't say anything different, Ivo. I think that's a great <laughs> note to end on. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. And I hope all of our listeners found this insightful and, and productive. Yeah, thanks, everyone. If you liked this episode, hit follow and visit gemseek.com to learn more. Let's make an impact on the world of CX together. Thank you for listening.